Hey, good morning. Uh, real honored to be with you. Thanks for having us this morning. I'll uh, just do a quick introduction of uh, my family. So throw this picture up there, you guys. It would be great. Um, this is uh, my, my daughter, Emma, and my wife, Trish, who actually got to be with us here today. So I'm grateful that they were able to travel. And uh, over on this side is my, my new son, Joram, who is a uh, true Berliner. Uh, German, and he married my oldest daughter, Reagan, and uh, Joram was able to immigrate back to the, uh, immigrate to the States, got his green card about a year ago, uh, was hired by uh, the Faith Division of Turning Point USA, and works for them, and uh, they live close to us. And then this is my, uh, my youngest daughter, Morgan, right next to Trish in the picture, and she is a sophomore in high school, and is... Uh, an FFA superstar this year. So I don't know if FFA people here, but she is, uh, she is preparing. She won the Arizona State Championship for creed speaking, and she is headed to Indianapolis in a few weeks to compete at the national level. So we're quite proud of that. And like I mentioned, Emma is here with us today, and Emma is uh, currently working teaching English to refugees and she is incredible with languages and as a teacher. And uh, so just that's, a, that's kind of an introduction to our family. And so we uh, have lived for about eight years in Berlin, Germany. And we were working there primarily amongst refugees uh, coming from many different parts of the world, but particularly Syria, uh, Afghanistan, Iran, uh, a number of different places. And you guys remember just not too many years back, there was this incredible migration to Europe. And uh, we just had the incredible honor of just kind of being right in the middle of all that and doing Bible study, sharing the gospel, just being with a lot of people from around the world. A um, little over a year ago, we uh, needed to return to the U.S. for uh, uh, at least for a season of time. Uh, both Trish and I, our parents are at a place where they, they need us to be a little closer to them. Uh, we just, uh, our, our daughters needed a, a little bit of a change. And so we are currently back. Uh, and as we were praying about God, where do we land in the U.S.? Uh, we ended up in the Phoenix area because we like cold weather. And uh, it's just fantastically cold there. Uh, you know, after living in a cold climate in Northern Europe, we just wanted that same experience here. So, um, but we are, uh, really the prayer was, God, where can we be close enough to our folks? Where can our daughters thrive? And where are there lots and lots and lots of international people? Um, and so we are uh, in a place where there are lots of international people because even though for a season of time we needed to change locations, our sense of calling to the peoples and the nations did not change. Um, and so we are uh, a part of a team there that we engage on a number of the university campuses. You know, that area, there's about 350,000 university students in the general area and lots and lots and lots of internationals, both students, refugees, and business people. Um, and so right now, we, uh, we just get out and we, uh, here's a great picture of some of the international students that we engage with. Uh, we do a lot of things on campus. Uh, we take uh, refugees on trips, or excuse me, international students on trips and refugees as well. Uh, we have some of our team that does English. Uh, we're involved in helping teach English. 
Uh, but honestly, the, the thing that we have so much fun doing right now is every Friday night, we have a house full of international students. And we have dinner with them. We, we generally play a game. And uh, then we sit down and, and have Discovery Bible study with them. And so just last Friday, we had eight students from the most populous Muslim nation in the world uh, sitting in our living room. These are some of the best and brightest. You guys, when you look at international students, you're generally experiencing some of the best and the brightest that a nation has to offer. These students are entirely funded by a Muslim government to be here. Their, 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 their assignment is to come and to be model students because the, the country wants them to come back and to show this is what our students can do. This is how good their English can be. These are the degrees they can pursue. We want you to be an example. And, you know, I, I, Trish and I, when we were done last week, we just sat and we said, you know, the largest Muslim government in the world just paid for their students to sit in our living room and study the Bible. I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'll take that every day of the week. <laughs> it's just, you know, what God is doing. Um, you know, guys, the world is still coming here. Many of the world's leaders come to the U.S. for university. And so we have this little narrow window of time that we can reach out and pour into them, share the gospel, disciple them. Um, and I tell you guys, well, honestly, our, our, our biggest goal in this season of time is that we would, we would be able to pour into some of these students who are going to return as cultural insiders to places like Saudi Arabia and China and parts of India. They return as cultural insiders following Jesus, fully equipped and prepared to multiply more disciples and leaders and even churches as cultural insiders. Um, and so that's really the vision that God has given us. And he has just opened the door. I, I, honestly, in the last four weeks, I think we've had at least 12 different countries sitting in our living room doing Discovery Bible study. Um, and so I, I just, I just want to say thank you because you guys are a part of this. Uh, really, as a supporting church, you make this possible, and you are truly impacting the world uh, through people sitting in our living room. <laughs> it's, it's really, that, that's what's going on. And so thank you for that. Uh, and, and please continue to pray. Uh, you know, these international students, unfortunately, they're not going to walk through the doors of our churches. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save. We have to go and seek these students. We have to find them. Um, and so through your guys' support, you keep us out there finding these students so we can then share the gospel. We can disciple them. We can, God willing, send some of them back to their countries as cultural insiders fully committed to Christ. Um, so thank you so much for that. All right. Well, it is, uh, it's so great I, I, to, to get to share with you this morning. I, I have to admit up front, though, I don't preach and teach a whole lot anymore. So I, the one thing you're, you're going to walk away from here today with is this, this idea that, man, Pastor Dallas is really good. <laughs> He's fantastic. Because when you compare, it's like, who's, what, what is this guy? Is it even making sense? So, uh, so Dallas, you're fantastic. We love you. And you're going to look really good today. So, you know, some people have a life verse. Uh, 
I, I grew up kind of in church, and, and people all around me, they had like, like this, this verse that became the theme of their life, or they just really felt like at some point along the journey, God gave them like a focus for their life. And it's like, I never had that. I never had a life verse. Like, I kind of felt a little kind of sad, but I got to tell you, after 52 rotations around the sun, this year, I finally found my life verse. I'm going to share it with you. It's kind of the foundation for what I want to share today. Um, now, I realize I don't own this passage personally. This might be your verse, and if it is, I'm not trying to steal it, all right? Um, if you don't have a verse and you want this to be your life verse, I share it freely. It, it can belong to both of us. That's no problem, um, but, but, but here it is, and we'll go back and talk a little bit about how we get to this point, but this, these are the two verses. It's found in Joshua chapter 14, verses 10 and 11. It says, now as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, today I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. And I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. That's a great passage. Now, you might be thinking, this is just some 85-year-old dude talking smack. Oh, yeah, Sonny, I can still fight and travel just as good as I could back then. Like, he's just making this stuff up. But you know something? As you read on in the story, you find out he is still traveling. He's still fighting. Well, the person that we're talking about here is a historical figure we know as Caleb. And we know about him because he was tasked with being a spy. And we're going to read a little bit about his story today. But why does this passage stand out so much? Why, why did it catch me? What's behind it? Well, for me, it just raised this question. Am I going to finish well? Am I going to finish well? With the current trajectory of my life, if Lord willing, I reach 85 is it going to be a good finish like Caleb was? Um, because when I read these two verses, that's exactly what I think. This is a man who is finishing his life well. He's, he's 85. I'm as strong as I was 45 years ago. I can not only travel, but I can still fight. And we discover in the story that he's still leading and providing for his family. He's helping them settle into a new land. It's really kind of this picture of vibrancy and engagement uh, and strength. And more than anything, it's a picture of a man who is still fully serving God. It really is an incredible story. You know, this just is not the picture that we, we see a lot today. So many times we see people who just kind of settle Yes, I'll be honest. I'm not a big social media guy. Like, you know, sometimes people face, you know, Facebook message me and I see it three months later. Um, I, I'm not on it a lot, but, you know, even sometimes I get on and just look and, and I see people that I've known from the past who used to have a vibrant walk with the Lord and, and they've, they've literally renounced their faith. They're not walking anymore. Maybe you guys have seen some of this in your life. 
or people who just, who, who, who just kind of plateau, or, or, or unfortunately, a lot of times who people, they live their whole life, and then they just kind of settle into a very quiet retirement where they stop giving their life away, and they just kind of comfortably retire and just kind of disappear. And that's not finishing well. You know, some of the, the best research that we have on this topic of finishing well comes from a, a, a professor named Robert Clinton. He was at Fuller for many, many years. He was actually very influential in the beginnings of our organization. And we're with an organization called Novo based in Southern Cal. And he spent several decades studying this topic of leadership and then especially focused on finishing well. Um, he studied about 800 different characters in the Bible. Um, and then he also studied contemporary leaders. And this is very simplistic, but here's a, a quote we'll put up here that is really kind of the summary of his research. He says, there's a, around 800 or so leaders mentioned in the Bible there are about 100 who have data that helps you interpret their leadership. About 50 of these have enough data for evaluation of their finish. About one in three finished well. This is people in the Bible. Anecdotal evidence from today indicates that this ratio is probably generous. Probably less than one in three are finishing well today. You know, and his research showed a, a lot of different reasons people do not finish well. Sometimes it's just he identified misuse of finances, pride, illicit relationships, family issues. Uh, but one of the big ones that he identified was many times people in their life just plateau. They stop growing. They kind of reach a point and they just kind of stop. Um, so for me, this is just been a little bit of a personal journey for the last couple of months. I've been thinking about this topic. Um, and and, and it's, it's really a journey that each of us should embark on. You know, where am I at? Where are areas of my life that maybe I'm, maybe I'm slipping a little bit? You know, think about it, you guys. The change in our life rarely happens all of a sudden. It's usually little things over a season that brings about change, either for the good or for the bad. And so my trajectory right now, are there other areas in my life that I just need to strengthen up so I'm on a trajectory to finish well? So you guys, I, I just want to just kind of start with the end here. Uh, this morning, as we talk through this for a few minutes, I, I just ask you the question, are you on a trajectory to finish well? Regardless of what your age is, what your lot in life is right now, when you think about God willing, you reach 80, 85, what's that going to look like? What is your life like right now that is setting you up for this great finish? You guys, I think as followers of Christ, what is that ultimate aim? It's we want to stand before God's throne and hear him say, what are the words? Well done, good and faithful one. And Caleb He's one who stood before God, and he said, well done, Caleb, good and faithful one. All right, so let's go back and look at a little bit of the story. Uh, you guys know that the, the Hebrew people had been freed from their slavery, slavery in Egypt. They'd been traveling in the wilderness for a bit of time, and they finally came to the land that God had promised to them. And so Moses, he, uh, from each of the 12 tribes, he gets 
one leader from each of the tribes and says, hey, you guys, it's time for a, a covert mission, a spy mission. I want you to go into the land. Let's, let's see what people are there. Are they big? Are they small? Uh, do they live in fortified cities? Are they in open encampments? Uh, what, what's, 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 the, what's the food like? We, we really need an upgrade in our food here. So what are the fruits and the vegetables like? Uh, just, just go and get all the intel that you can get and then come back so that we can make our plans about what this is going to look like. Uh, so then we'll pick up the story here in Numbers 13, 25. It says, after exploring the land for 45 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was the report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a beautiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb, but Caleb, he tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. Let's just stop for a second there. I always find it fascinating that oftentimes in the Bible, people's names are reflective of their character and who they are. So Abraham means the father of many nations, or, or uh, the father of many, sorry. Joshua's name means the Lord of my salvation. Lord is my salvation. David's name means beloved. But by contrast, Caleb's name likely comes from the word for dog, for dog. And so I have a little bit of a weird mind. So a couple of weeks ago, I read that for the first time, and I was really wanting a visual of, of what Caleb might have looked like. And so, of course, this is the picture that I found that came to mind, dog, uh, dog the bounty hunter. So, so forever, the rest of my life, this is, when I think Caleb, this is the picture I'm going to have because it's dog. But, but this likely grows from this concept of being dogged which we would think of someone who's stubbornly persevering or tenacious or determined. Uh, it also has these, these connotations of being faithful and zealous and bold and brave. And that's a great picture of Caleb. That's a fantastic picture. So, so I apologize if this has tainted you for life, but just how I think, okay? Amen. He's dog. All right, so let's, let's keep reading this. It says, but the other men who had explored the land with him, disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants, the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and by the way, that's what they thought too. Well, from here, the story goes downhill really fast. The vast majority of the people buy into what the ten are saying. 
They'd start wailing and complaining and the, 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 that too often heard motto, we were better off in Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt as slaves. That starts to gain steam. They're calling for new leadership that will take them back to a life of slavery. And we could talk a lot about the spiritual aspects of that. Um, but pick it up in Numbers 14.5. It says, Then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, The land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of that land. They are helpless prey to us. They have no protection. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a wild phrase. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Well, uh, honestly, you guys, I think the qualities of Caleb are pretty obvious from what we've just read, but let me just share you a couple things, a couple thoughts about him, things about his life. Number one we see is that Caleb actively promoted God's agenda. Caleb actively promoted God's agenda, and he did this regardless of the pressure to do otherwise. It says there in verse 30, but Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. See, Caleb is not passively sitting by while the other 10 spies are actively disobeying God. Caleb is not passive here. He's actively, he's standing for the right way, the way of faith the way of trusting in what God has already said, the way of God's will and his plan. In verse 9, it says, Caleb, along with Joshua, he's saying, listen, you guys, don't rebel against God. Don't live in fear. God's got this. What was God's best plan? What was God's agenda? Hey, this land had been promised many years before. Here, you're, you're on the border. It's time. God's plan was, it's time to enter the land. Let's go. That was his agenda. But what happens? The whole community begins to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Now, you know, how many people is the whole community? Well, if you go back to Numbers 146, it tells us pretty specifically there were about 603,550 men aged 20 or older. 603,550. So add in women and children. And we are talking about millions of people. And it says the whole community is saying, let's stone these guys. Guys, that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Very, very small group of people who want to do God's plan, who want to do God's agenda. Lots and lots of people who do not. Guys, I just want to tell you that if you are going to stand for God's agenda, if you are going to be vocal about your faith in Jesus and stand against evil in this world, man, don't expect applause. 
not going to happen. You guys, in, in this day and age that we live, the orientation of the culture in general is against those who want to faithfully follow the Lord. And you know, honestly, sometimes that opposition is going to even come from people who call themselves Christians. Because when you sincerely commit to being faithful to God and following his agenda, people are going to come against it. I tell you, it's not the easy path. You know, this, 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 this day and age, the social media platform is against you. Might say it this way, the algorithm is not in your favor. It is not. The current government is not defending biblical values nor trying to practice them. And we can spend a lot of time talking about that one. You know, we live in a cultural moment. This is just my observation, especially having lived outside the culture for a long time. We live in a cultural moment where the division between those who truly want to follow Christ and those who do not is getting wider. I, it's interesting. You think about the actual word division. The literal translation, die, means two, and vision. So it's literally division is two different visions. And so if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, your vision for what this world should be is going to be diametrically opposed to what this world's vision for what things should look like is. And it almost gets confusing. The world doesn't understand God's vision for the world. They don't understand how we see this world. Now, we understand the world's way to some degree because we know it's generally driven by sinfulness. It's driven by our enemy. So we understand that. But in some ways, it's even becoming harder and harder to comprehend the world's vision for where it's going. It's completely opposed. You guys, in this, Caleb, he was willing to step up to God's vision, to God's agenda, to his plan. And I want to just encourage you guys, wherever you're at, whether you're 20 or 70 or younger than that or older than that, man, step into God's vision and his plan. We're called to that. Man, are you, are you challenging and calling the people around you to faith in Christ? You know, grandparents, are you pouring into those grandkids are you giving them God's vision and agenda? Man, are you, are you encouraging other Christians around you to a depth of relationship with God? You guys, are we just being salt and light in a world that is rotting and decaying and that's filled with darkness? You guys, the, 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 this life that God calls us to is one of courage. And I think that's something we take from Caleb. Courage him and a few guys standing against the whole community. You know, uncourageous, lukewarm, kind of wallflower Christianity does not set us up to end well. But courageous following of Jesus with God's agenda guiding us, man, that puts us on a trajectory to finish this life well. Well, another quality about Caleb was this, was that Caleb just had a different attitude Numbers 14, 24 says, but my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. 
He had a different attitude. Now, we know what intuitively what an attitude is, but let me just give you a definition. An attitude is a complex mental state involving beliefs and feelings and values and dispositions to act in a certain way. And this gal has kind of an attitude that we know about, okay? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so, you know, I think of attitude in terms of our posture and our orientation. You know, you've probably heard the old saying that the person who says I can and the person who I says cannot are both right. Well, that that speaks to our attitude. You have a can-do attitude or a I can't-do attitude. What's my, my general posture in this life? Our attitude really is the leading factor that determines our decisions and what we actually do. I think of attitude like this, if you think in terms of aviation, think of an, of an airplane out in space. And inside of a cockpit, you have what's called an attitude indicator. And that tells you if you're going a little up or a little down, maybe banked a little left, banked a little bit right. But ultimately, that attitude is going to show where you're going to go. It, it, it's the, it's, it says this is the trajectory of where you're going to end. And so for us, that's, that's our attitude. Um, it says here in some other translations also that Caleb had a, a different spirit. It gives us that same sense. This was his, his posture, his, his default worldview. For Caleb, we've already seen that his attitude was one of wholehearted faith. Hey, listen, you guys, we can do this. With God on our side, it doesn't matter. I don't care how big those other guys are. It doesn't matter. We can do this. I mean, this was his attitude. Let's roll. And in verse 24 here, we see that God connects Caleb's attitude to loyalty. He was loyal to God. His attitude was one of faith and loyalty. It was a posture that said, I am 100% on God's side. You guys, if we're going to be people who finish well in this life, we need to decide right now that regardless of, again, where we're at, that we are going to have a different attitude or a different spirit like Caleb had, an attitude and a posture of faith, an attitude that says, God, I am going to follow you regardless of the cost Regardless of what others say, I am 100% going to be obedient and follow after you. You guys, I, I, uh, my family, we, like I mentioned, we lived outside this culture for about eight years. And while I wasn't entirely uh, oblivious to what was happening here in this culture, um, the reality is, is when you live somewhere, you get pretty plugged in and, and, and you're kind of focused there. Um, but I have to admit, since coming back into my passport culture, I've been a little surprised, kind of shocked. And, and I'm going to admit to you that uh, off, there's just been times where my attitude has not been good and godly and right, um, not, not having the attitude of Caleb. I'll just, I'll just tell you some of the things I've seen that, that has produced my bad attitude or that has impacted my attitude. Uh, went to a, a, a college uh, orientation with my daughter, Emma. And we're walking around this school and the, and the little gal leading, our, you know, leading the tour, she's just excited about everything and you know, how great the school is, it's wonderful. And then we, we, we get to this one building and she is just off the hook excited. She says, this is where the biggest club on campus meets. 
We have over a thousand members in this club of like, wow, that sounds great, you know, fantastic. And she, then she says, it's the eSports club. Okay, quick show of hands. Anybody know what eSports is? Yeah, that's a, a few. Okay, yeah, a few. Some of you yeah, I know what that is. Yeah, so, so eSports is essentially another way to say sitting on your butt playing video games. That's an e-sport. I'm like, so like you letter in Call of Duty? Or what, I mean, what, what, what is it? And then I was like, what is going on here? Shouldn't we have like a, like a, a like, yeah, get out and do something outside. But anyway, nothing wrong with a video game now and then, but e-sports. You know, I came back into a culture where people were saying that men can get pregnant and have babies and chest feed. I walked back into a culture where, like, dudes are competing in women's sports and thinking, I'm all that. I walked into a culture where really smart people can't even tell you what a woman is. And I got to tell you, as I just start to process some of these things, uh, my attitude has not been good. Now, now all these things I've mentioned, the esports thing was a little more funny. This other stuff is, I mean, it is evil. It is absolutely evil. But, but here's, unfortunately, my attitude sometimes is rather than being angry against evil, sometimes my attitude has been towards the people who have been deceived by our enemy and by the evil. It's like I've looked around sometimes and I've said, you know, God, I don't even think you can fix this. That's a pretty bad attitude. And sometimes it's been like, you know, God, I read to the end of the book. I know there's this whole end of the world. You're coming back. Can we just go ahead and get on with that? <laughs> But, you know, and, and that's true. As, as believers, that's our great hope. We're, we're, that's, man, we are looking forward to that. But, the, but the, the dark side of that has, has really been, you know, God, they can just go to hell. Just get this over with. You know, that's not God's attitude. And it shouldn't be my attitude. In fact, what is 2 Peter 3 9 says, the Lord isn't being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. You know, so why, while I need to, to stand up for what is right and be angry at the evil and all the deception our enemy has, my attitude towards people needs to be different. It needs to be, you know, something, I am simply a sinner who has been saved by grace, who's been adopted as a son into the family of my heavenly father, and I'm so grateful. And God, you can do that with anybody. And that's your heart. And so is that my attitude? I need to have a different attitude. Because honestly, the attitude of most of our world is one of condemnation. My attitude needs to be one that says, we serve a God of redemption, 
a God who changes heart, who changes lives. He changed me. He's changed many of yours. And, and he is not done changing people. And that's what I want my life to be. That's the attitude I want to have. Well, you guys, there's a lot more about attitude that we could talk about. Um, I, I'm just going to skip through some things here just for the sake of time. But I, I just want to say this one other thing. Very interesting that the attitude of the 10 spies, it impacted millions of people. Yes, our attitudes can be life-giving or they can be death. Because of these 10 spies and, and their report was like yeast going through the whole loaf of bread, the judgment for that was, number one, the 10 spies, they all died within a couple of days. They were struck dead. And, and every single person in the community of Israel who was 20 years of age or older was not allowed to enter the promised land. They all died in the wilderness. And it was because of these 10 spies. They're the ones who got this whole thing going. So you guys, our attitude can be life or it can be death. All right, let me just give you one more and I'll do this real quick. It's that Caleb fostered resilience. He fostered resilience. He didn't just fall into complacency. You know, God had made Caleb this promise that he would possess and secure the land for his descendants. And as a, as a man of God, he knew that he could trust. I mean, that was as good as money. God said, man, this is going to happen, Caleb. And so with that promise, Caleb could have just kind of sat back and cruised for the next 40 years or however long it was. And just because the promise was there, it's, it's good. He could have cruised. You know, I, I, I think as followers of Christ, we can do that too. Hey, I, you know... I'm saved. I'm a follower of Christ. I've got heaven one day. I'm just going to kind of cruise. And and we could do that. But but this is not the example of Caleb. Uh, I mean, you, you can't just, at the age of 40, cruise, and then at 85 say, I'm still strong. I can still travel. I can still fight. You know, that, that's just not the picture we have here. Now, we don't have a, a whole lot of information about Caleb between 40 and 85. There's a few little hints here and there. But we know, as we read this, that there was a, there was a physical aspect to this. I'm as strong as I was. That doesn't happen without being intentional. Quick show of hands here. Anybody over 50 in this room? Yeah. So, so, so you know, once you get over 50... You know, let's say you want to, man, I'm going to go do like 40 or 50 good form push-ups. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the funniest thing I've said all day. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, is it as easy to do that now as it was when you were 20? No. I mean, there's just it's, it's a physical, obviously, Caleb, he was, he was out there. He was, he was engaged. He stayed strong. But think about his resilience emotionally and spiritually. I, I, mean, I mean, think about the heartbreak, and I'm just kind of doing some creative imagining here, but, but the fact that over the course of his life, Caleb is going to see every single friend, every family member, every colleague, he's going to watch them die. He's going to outlive them all. I mean, that takes emotional resilience you know, you guys, how, how many times, maybe this has been your experience, I, I've seen this where, where people have, have experienced 
just loss after loss after loss after loss. And, and, and unfortunately, after that, they, 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 they grow cold towards God. They maybe have asked God good questions. You know, God, God can take our questions. God, why is this happening? What's going on? God can handle those things. But sometimes people end up walking away because of loss. But what do we see here about Caleb? At the end of his life, he's still acknowledging God. He says, just as the Lord promised, he kept me alive for 45 years. It's God who kept me alive. He's fully acknowledging and serving the Lord despite all that he's been through. Okay, just one last passage. It says, so Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kinzite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. And the land had rest from war. You know, you guys, one of the outcomes of pursuing this way of life right now, of pursuing a life of finishing well, is that we bless the generations that follow us. Your life well lived serving the Lord Praise God for you and the results in your own life. But praise God that you be a blessing to the generations that come behind you. You guys, what's the trajectory of your life right now? If you were to sit down this week, just take some time to evaluate your life and where you're at, what's going on, the kind of time you're spending with God, the relationships and your families, uh, what's happening on your job, just how life is going, your current attitude, your current trajectory. Is it leading towards a life that ends well? Guys, this is, this is our call. God calls us to this. And I just encourage and challenge you to be on our trajectory now so that when this life is said and done, you can stand before the King Jesus and hear the words, well done, good and faithful one. Hey, would you pray with me? God, we just, uh, we thank you for your servant, Caleb. God, we're looking forward to talking to him one day and hearing the rest of the story. God, I thank you that you, uh, you call us to this life and you empower us to live it. And so, God, I, I just pray that we would be a people, a community of people who has the attitude like Caleb had. God, that we would be people who are committed to your agenda, that we would build a resilience. God, that our lives would just be reflective of the kinds of people that you want us to be. God, that we'd be present in this world as salt and light and God, that ultimately we would end this life well and be a blessing to the generations that come behind us. But God, we need you in that. We don't have the strength and power to do this alone. So Holy Spirit, would you empower us to live this life that you call us to? God, we acknowledge that you are our creator, our sustainer. God, the very breath that we breathe is a gift from you. And I pray, God, that we would use all that you've given us in this life. We would use it well so that we could finish the race, 
having lived a life for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.